Uh, David, we can't hear you. Yeah, we can't hear you now. I was using the hardware mute button on my microphone, um, so I would not accidentally mute Zoom and then not my local, so I'm going to restart my record. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Android Bytes, powered by Esper. I'm David Ruddick, and each week I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Rahman, diving deep into the world of Android. And this week, we're entering a part of the Android world that I think is endlessly fascinating to everyone, which is wearables, because it is a it's a story of drama, intrigue, reworking, and changes of strategy and direction. And I think that everyone, Google included, still isn't quite sure where Android is going to end up in the wearable universe, just seems like somewhere. And today we have some great guests to talk about that future and the past. So yeah, on today's episode, we have Sean Hoyt, who also goes online as Deadman96385. And we have Greg Fishian, who's also known online on Reddit, GitHub, etc. as Dynalogic. So welcome to the podcast, you two. Nice to be here. I'm excited to be here. For a bit of background, Sean is a software developer. He's part of the OpenWatch project, which we'll touch upon in this broadcast um, later on. And Greg is a app developer who is behind one of the most popular Wear OS apps, Bubble Cloud Launcher. So he has a lot of experience developing applications for Wear OS and supporting the platform. And Sean has a lot of experience building Android for smartwatches, which is a very relevant topic to today's discussion. So speaking of building Android for smartwatches, why don't we kick things off by taking a step back and looking back at where we all started. Android from the very beginning was initially designed as a operating system for smartwatches. Of course, it later expanded into tablets with Honeycomb. We spent a whole episode talking about that. And of course, there are other flavors like Android TV for televisions, Android Automotive for cars. And of course, there's Wear OS, which when it was first introduced was known as Android Wear. And this was kicked off way back in, I think, 2014 in the Android KitKat era. Android Wear, as its name implies, is basically just Android optimized for wearable devices. Specifically, smartwatches not really interested in fitness trackers or anything else that doesn't have a screen. So just smartwatches is the main focus of Android Wear. And because these smartwatches are so small and they have so little room inside of them for big batteries, they don't have enough room for more RAM modules. So they have limited RAM, limited storage space for apps and the OS. Everything needs to be slimmed down and shrunk down, including the number of system applications, the code that's within those system applications. And of course, because you have such a small screen, apps themselves need to be scaled down, like in terms of the user interface. So like everything is just super simple compared to the full fat Android for smartwatches. Now, Android Wear or Wear OS is now called, you know, has changed a lot over the years, but many of you I'm sure have experienced using the OG Android Wear watches way back in the day. What are your thoughts on the early experience? Like, do you think it provided a good experience back then? It was not a great experience overall. It was very limited, at least in my opinion. It had apps, but they didn't do much. Your phone could do everything better. The only thing it was really useful for was notifications. Having notifications on your wrists, hands-free, in my opinion. <laughs> this is the one I used originally in 2014, the Moto 360. I agree. It is limited, especially the battery life was, was crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, barely, barely, made, we called it a, a full workday phone, so, or workday watch. 
So basically eight, 10 hours. But uh, the basic idea was very good, I think. The Google Now feed, the original idea of Google was this Google Now feed on it with the card, which says mm -hmm. then they have given up on the phone as well. But that was the original idea. And, and I think they designed it to be not so much around applications, but more around these cards. And it mm -hmm. really didn't live like that. Yeah. But that was the original idea. I started with the LG G watch, the original square little guy. And I do agree. The cards were kind of like their big point. And I think that's lived on with complications. It's solving the same issue of context aware stuff on your wrist and the cards were that and now complications are that way too. Mm -hmm. I don't think I actually tried Android Wear until the Huawei watch came out. Because up until that point, the only Android, or it wasn't even Android, it was Tizen based, was the original Galaxy Watch. Or excuse me, the Galaxy Gear, it was called at the time. I forgot the name there. And that was, I think, a much more mature piece of hardware than anything Wear OS introduced at the time. But the software was atrocious, for lack of a better word, unfortunately, and extremely limited if you didn't have a Samsung device which was kind of the direction Samsung kept taking it. And when I came to try Android Wear for the first time with the Huawei watch, I had never used an Apple watch before either. So my bar was set pretty low. <laughs> and so when I tried it for the first time, I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm getting my notifications on my wrist. But what I found about Android Wear was that the very passive nature of the experience coupled with the extremely buggy assistant implementation, especially in the early days, I just stopped wearing it, and it was not something that I came to rely on in any material way, and I've never been a strong user of the Android Wear platform and later Wear OS. I've never used the new Galaxy Watch. I've not used, I don't think, really any modern Wear OS watch. I wear an Apple Watch every day, though. So I appreciate wearables, but it's been interesting, right? Um, I have, I mean, I carry two phones, so I can do that. I even have the Apple Watch Cellular, which I love. I love to take that, take calls on it. It's great. But Wear OS was always when I would look over and say, what's going on over here now? Like two years later, be like, well, we've got complications now. UI looks a little different. Um, it lasts a whole day. That's good. <laughs> that was kind of the story. So I never was that closely orbiting around the platform, but our readers were when I wrote at Android Police, wearables were always such hot content. And I think that was down to what remains true today, which is that people have a real desire for an Android compatible wearable. There's no denying that. The market is there. People want the experience, but Google and partners have for, you know, I don't want to be too harsh, but they've really let people down to date is, is a way I think it would be fair to say. Yeah, me personally, I actually bought the OG Moto 360, but not at retail. I bought it when it was basically being sold at like 50 bucks at Walmart because they were just trying to get rid of stock. And I used it for a while, but I don't remember why or when I got rid of it. I just stopped using it. And I don't remember like what was the reason, but I think it was just because I was using it as a glorified notification feed. And I felt like that wasn't enough for me to bother to remember to charge it pretty much every day. And the last... Since then, I hadn't used any Wear OS or Android Wear watch until the Tick Watch Pro 3, which is in the modern era of Wear OS watches. So yeah, I'd say, you know, for most of Android Wear slash Wear OS existence, 
the hardware has kind of let consumers down. And of course, Google, there's not much Google can do about the hardware side of things. They're supposedly working on a watch themselves, but who knows, but they can do a lot about the software, which is obviously the focus of this week's episode and why we invited two experts on the experience. So, you know, uh, I've been, I've been referring to both Android Wear and Wear OS simultaneously, but it's going to get kind of like a mouthful to keep referring to them side by side. So we're just going to say Wear OS from here on out, because that's what it's referred to as nowadays. And Android Wear is just purely for historical reasons. So before we dive into what actually makes Wear OS unique, what Wear OS is, I'd like to talk about the platform under the hood, because Wear OS is still fundamentally Android. It's not like a fork of Android where they completely change the framework or the runtime environment or anything like that. It's still based on the same Android open source code project code as all other Android devices are. So that means as long as the architecture that the app was built for is compatible with the architecture that's actually on the watch, you could run the same apps that you use on your phone on your smartwatch. Of course, the experience will be hilariously broken if you try to run an app that was built for your smartphone on your uh, smartwatch. Like you, you could certainly do it. You could sideload and run Doom on your watch if you really wanted to, or an emulator and play like Pokemon. There are people who have done that. It looks ridiculous. And of course, because watches don't have a lot of buttons or really like a big screen at all, you're not getting a good experience out of it, but it can work. And that's because it is still under the Android based. But the issue is that if you are a tinker, a third-party developer, or a company that's looking to build Android for a smartwatch on your own, you're going to run into a big problem. And that's the fact that Google doesn't open source any of the modifications they make to build Wear OS. So the modifications they make to the framework, to the settings, the launcher, all the system UI surfaces, all that stuff is not in AOSP. So if you were to build AOSP, you're going to get the same experience that you get tripped down for phones. It's going to be a big blown up phone interface trying to be shrunk down onto a watch and it's not going to look very good at all. I have an expert here who has a lot of experience actually building and trying to do that, just that, porting AOSP to smartwatches. So I wanted to ask you, Sean, first of all, how does the distribution of Wear OS differ from that of Android on handhelds? Because Android on handhelds is very well understood. It's open source. People have studied how Android goes from AOSP to silicon vendors, to BSPs, to OEMs. But I'm guessing there's not a lot of documentation or really a lot of discussion on how this works on the Wear OS side. So a lot of this information I have, it's been gleaned from different locations over the time. Because when I worked for the smartwatch company I did, we weren't a Google partner. We were making something they didn't want. So we were just trying to learn ourselves all of this information, or can we be an Android Wear watch? And the answer is no. <laughs> There's very strict restrictions on what type of device it is, what the target market is for it, as well as even down to back then, even screen size or what type of screen. So when we were looking, you could do round or circle, but they had to be a certain resolution screen. They had to have, it's very similar to the Android Mada, M-A-D-A. I don't know how to say that one properly, but it's the testing suite, but it's even more restricted than normal Android's testing suites because they are trying to curate an exact experience. Every watch has to act almost the same. And that's hard to do unless Google is actively involved with the process. So from the AOSP side, pretty much you'll have your 
Silicon manufacturers for Qualcomm, MediaTek, Uni SoC made a few. They would have their BSP, which is the board support package. So pretty much everything from Qualcomm that needs to run the base hardware of your device. You would then get a clockwork integration package. Pretty much that would be all of the pre-built Google apps, their permission files, any overlays, general overlays for AOSP side stuff. And that would include your new system UI, your new settings. All that would be pre-built by Google and given to you. And then you would integrate that into your board support package yourself. Your engineering team would do that. You then need to start running the clockwork test suites against your watch. Very similar to how normal Android, you have to do it. You then need to send your watches, at least two to five watches into Google, or at least at the time. Uh, you had to send them to Google for them to do their own verifications and their own testing themselves. And from what I know, they did that as like kind of like a 3PL style testing, but it was obviously just internal to Google because they are the, the customer for the product. The other big thing is that they strip out a lot of under the hood features and functions of Android. And so you need to remove a lot of stuff from your apps. If you are going to do like full fat, non-companion apps, it's just a laundry list of stuff that you need to make sure you don't do, or you it'll crash, or at least when I was doing a lot of Android stuff, a lot of it wasn't even documented. So you'll just get just a random crash that no documentation on what, what actually is wrong. It's just something's unhappy or something's missing for the app. So I think that's a pretty good overview of at least the integration side of it. With Android Wear 2 at the time, that's where they added back a lot of the metric stuff and mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So it got a little bit better. And that's when what Michelle was referring to became possible to actually port phone and tablet apps on, on these tiny screens. So that primarily happened, A, because Google didn't want to keep maintaining this secondary fork of much stripped down Android. And also B, that is roughly the time period when Google bought Chronologix. Chronologix was a Google made, or a, three Googlers left Google and made Chronologix. And Chronologix was building a smartwatch OS. And they had two clients. One of them was Blocks Wearables, where I worked. And the other one was another Chinese company. And we were, they had complications. They had audio and video call syncing. They had everything you see in a modern day smartwatch already back in 2014, 2015. I wasn't aware of this part of the history of the platform. Michelle, were you? About the chronologic speak? No, I wasn't until yeah. Sean brought it up oh. right before the call. Yeah. So I guess I can go into more detail. Um, yeah. They would take your base Android and then they had their whole SDK layer on top. And then they had custom built their own application. So their own settings, their own frameworks, but they were using an earlier version of overlayable Android apps, APKs, not the same system as what we currently have for extending system UI and everything. It was an older, worse version of it. And they were using that. So they weren't actually having to duplicate Google code. They could just overlay their stuff on top. And that made it so it was really easy to maintain and forward port it. At least in a lot of cases, a lot of it could be easily forward ported to newer versions of Android, which they did. They did three different Android versions. So they have that and their goal was to launch with more products. I guess they were in talks to 
working with Samsung and Google and Google decided to just buy them for lots of money and get their whole ex-Googler team back into Google, which as we know, Google loves to do that kind of thing for their Googler companies. That's really fascinating. I'm sure there's some reporting on this somewhere, but it was such a long time ago at this point. I mean, eight years. Yeah. Like if you just Google for it, you'll only get like the Fitbit and or the uh, fossil stuff. It happened back in 2016 is when Google bought them and they found it in 2014. I'm pretty sure. So in two years, they built fundamentally a smartwatch OS and it was good enough that Google bought it and then tried to start integrating some of their features into Wear OS. Certainly going to have to do a bit of research after this call is over. But uh, <laughs> while we're on the subject of building a smartwatch OS, from what you mentioned, there's so many changes to Wear OS that unless you have access to the pre-builds that Google provides under the clockwork integration packages, that you're probably going to fail all the tests that they require you to do. to oh, the ship You're, you're not even going to get the test. You can't even they get do the them. test. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. You ship your watch. Well, if they you do partner it. with them, you'll get a copy. But they'll uh -huh. do even more themselves, at least in the past. And you have to be a partner with Google. You need to sign contracts with right. Google. If you don't have that, you don't get Android Wear. And you're, and you're missing so much of what's needed if you, if you, you don't partner with them. It. But that doesn't stop companies from trying to make Android run on wearables on their own. If you go on like um, Alibaba or, you know, and search up smartwatches, you'll find a lot of smartwatches that are running just full fat Android. They're not from the typical brands that you associate with wearables because GMS licensing, all the anti-fragmentation agreements, blah, yada, yada, yada. We talked about that. Obviously, they can't just compile AOSP and ship that on a smartwatch. That's just not going to work very well. So I wanted to ask you, Sean, what are some of the things that have to be overcome to actually build a wearable optimized OS? You know, you were working on one such project I mentioned before, OpenWatch, while you were at Blocks. Can you tell us about OpenWatch and like what you guys had to do? Sure. OpenWatch kind of started as a company slash community effort to try and build something like a, a custom ROM or a custom watch OS for more watches. The biggest thing that we started with was trying to rebuild a UI because normal Android settings, even like the status bar, it doesn't fit on a circular screen because it's designed for square or rectangular screens. So they'd be off the sides of the screen. It'd be super zoomed in. And so the first goal was we need a launcher because a launcher is the base. So you want all your apps, your settings. And a lot of cases you combined a lot of that normally like status bar or status stuff into your launcher yourself, because then you could control the UI and the gestures. I know Greg <laughs> can probably attest to that kind of thing. Once you have your launcher, you start working on your system UI. So your drag down, pull down menu, if you are going to have one separately. And then your settings, because once you have that, you have a smartwatch, <laughs> a launcher and settings. That's all you really need for a smartwatch. Well, uh -huh. then you also need applications, right? I'd argue that's yeah. probably the most important bit. That's true. That was the last part. <laughs> and the we never got to that stage. <laughs> and I'd say that's probably the, the biggest challenge that most vendors trying to build Android on anything that's not licensed from Google, they have to come across. It's, it's how do you handle app distribution and actually app availability because a Google Play Store is the largest repository of Android apps out there. And it's the only repository of wearable apps. Like I don't think F-Droid really has a repository of Wear OS apps out there. Like there's no alternative to Google Play for wearable apps 
which means if you're trying to build a non-Wear OS smartwatch, you're going to have to find out ways to actually get third-party applications onto the platform. And without Google Play, that means you'd probably have to set up your own repository or sideload them. And uh, sideloading, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not as easy as it is on smartphones because smartwatches, most of them, you can only access them remotely through Wi-Fi or Bluetooth because a lot of their data connections aren't hooked up for USB. But that's another tangent that we could run into. I wanted to ask you, though, Greg, what is the reason, even if you could sideload, say, your application, Bubble Cloud, onto a full Android AOSP running smartwatch? You advertise that your app is only compatible with Wear OS watches. Can you tell us like why your app wouldn't work or what problems may arise if you try to run it on a smartwatch just running full-fat AOSP Android? Yeah, the first part of the answer is it actually does work. So if, if we have a, that's going to be a question to, to Sean about the uh, uh, L launcher or any open watch mm -hmm. launcher, if it's uh, widgets compatible or capable, home screen widget capable, that's the origin of my launcher app, actually. It started as a, a home screen widget app on the phone. And then when I got my first Android Wear watch, Wear OS watch, I just tried to copy it there and it looked nice. And then I started to work on it. But to answer your question, Michelle, I'm using things in the Wear OS system that would be missing. So Google Play service, it's built on Google Play services. The communication between the watch and the main application or the, the phone component of the application. Currently, it's using a watch face mode, so it works as a watch face as well. So that's that's very much rooted in in the Wear OS system. So right now, if you wanted to install it, install the watch component on a non-watch, it would break because it's using the Android hardware type watch. Uh, Oh, uh, feature, but that's probably the least of the problem. <laughs> I can maybe go into a little bit of more detail if you want. Yeah. Can you tell us, Sean, a bit about some of the challenges, if there are any, with sideloading Wear OS apps onto non-Wear OS smartwatches, or if anything can be done on the system side to overcome those challenges? Well, probably the, the biggest issue is any, like, companion APKs. I don't know if that's the technical, the real term for them, but I always called them companion APKs. So it would be an embedded APK in the Play Store main app. And then where OS, the app would then send that over to the watch and have it installed there. It's no more. Yeah. That, that yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because at least when I was working, that was the way. And that was fully custom, made by Google. You can't replicate it. And so at least that was the reason we couldn't do it. If you were using a primary app, you could sideload it with a little bit of work over Bluetooth, but it was not great. And the only other way would be is if your watch had a USB contacts, you'd have to go and then go through the normal ADB routes. And earlier watches, almost all of them had them. Uh, and then they started going away primarily due to the wireless charging. That was actually a change again with Android Wear 2.0 when the Play Store appeared on the watch itself. Mm -hmm. And it made things in a way easier because that embedded automatism, if it worked, it was great, but most of the time it didn't. 
And then there was no way to fix it. Or there were these magic tricks of rebooting both devices at the same time and things like that. And as everything, we were solving the problem for Google with developers. So mm -hmm. we were, uh, users were always finding us uh, with this problem. So that, that's when you could see web pages created for this uh, debugging, how to fix connection mm -hmm. issues like that. So having the Play Store on the watch itself made it easier and made these embedded applications unnecessary. That brought another set of problems because especially those who got used to automatically installing the applications, then they waited, waited, waited. And again, they were angry at us why it didn't install the companion app, why didn't uh, the watch app install on their watches. But eventually I think it, this is a better solution and it allows for standalone watch applications, mm -hmm. which is a big thing. So speaking of proprietary implementations, pretty much everything about Wear OS is proprietary. And because of that, there's little that you can actually glean about where it differs from AOSP. You can't just look through the source code and see, oh, this is how they changed the API here. This is how they changed the behavior here. But I did find a page that lists like a high-level overview of the differences between Android for handhelds and Wear OS. It's actually like on the developer website. And I was surprised by how similar a lot of the aspects are. So there's obviously a lot of differences, like in the design of apps and the UI surfaces, the types of input that are accepted on wearables, because wearables have buttons and crowns you can move. And navigation itself, it's swipe down, swiping left and right, you know, a lot of gestures you don't do on smartphones. But a lot of under the hood things like architecture components, the way apps interact with each other, the underlying permissions model, background task queuing, accessing files, animations, et cetera, are the same. But of course, what's same is not really interesting to us because we already know how it works on the Android side. There's a lot of documentation on that. But the differences, though, I think are worth exploring. So design is obviously the biggest fundamental difference between the apps that run on your smartphone versus your smartwatch because smartwatch apps are heavily slimmed down. In fact, Google doesn't even refer to them as apps. They want you to call them overlays. They don't say you're running apps because they say you're not running full apps on your watch. You're running overlay surfaces. I found that weird. I, they kept referring to overlays yeah. in the documentation. And I'm like, aren't overlays something different on the smartphone side? Like they have like five different definitions of what an overlay is. There's so many differences, but that's what they're called on the Wear OS side. And then of course, instead of widgets, you have complications and tiles. Complications, I think anyone familiar with smartwatches will know basically what that is, but they're just like little tiny shortcuts or glanceable info. Usually they're overlaid on top of the watch face. And then the tiles is like the newer concept introduced 2019. It's basically the widget. You swipe over from the left to the right, and it's a, like a full widget that shows you a lot of information from an app or let you do some information. So I wanted to ask you, Greg, you've designed apps for Wear OS. You have one of the most popular apps, I'd argue, for Wear OS from a third-party developer. Can you tell us about some of the important principles of designing for Wear OS? Like what are some of the things that developers should be aware of when it comes to you? considering navigation or input, power management, et cetera. Yeah, everything is smaller. So you have much less battery. So you really have to watch what you're doing and be careful, make it as uh, memory because that's RAM is also, storage is also much smaller. So as battery and memory efficient as possible. And that was the original idea to do as much on the phone, on the handheld device, 
in the companion app. Android where it didn't have a network connection that had to be done on the phone and pulled over on the watch using Bluetooth. That changed. So now it can be done. And in some cases it makes sense to be done on the watch itself, but sensors just don't go crazy with the sampling frequency there. So even if you keep track of the heart rate, modern watches, so thick watch or the Samsung watch, they are able to continuously monitor your heart rate, but earlier it meant that take a sample every 10 minutes or something like that. But even, um, and I still do this in my watch face step count. You don't have to see your step count updated after every step. I could make my watch face. I was able to make my watch face more battery efficient. If I pulled it and updated the information every minute or every 15 minutes, even it's perfectly fine. If somebody wants more frequent updates, they can put a watch face complication there and it's going to show every step. Other ideas that are special, I think mostly to watches are the always on displays. Of course they are available on the phone, but we have no control in Android over the always on screen on phones. But we do have control in Wear OS for watch faces, of course, but even for regular applications or overlays, as they call them, it is actually encouraged to provide an always on screen, like Google Keep your notes. It is nice to have them stay on the screen, even if the watch goes to sleep or goes into ambient mode. But having OLED screens, especially with watch faces, you have to be careful with screen burning issues. So that's another principle that, that is special to watches. And these are really just the special things because of course you have to use larger font size to make it readable and larger, um, relatively larger touch targets. Original Android Wear had extremely large touch targets. It was the full screen. We can go a little lower than that, but so I think now we kind of are at the optimum there. So you can have six, seven touch targets on a screen at most. Another, which we have already mentioned the round and square screens, uh, Sean had the square, I had the original round or flat tire at that time. So that's a major difference in design that you always have to, even now there are square shaped watches. So you have to always design every UI element for both uh, square and round in the various space. And also for input, there is much difference. There is a keyboard, there is even a swipe keyboard, but don't ever use it because it makes really no sense. So voice input, gesture input, and wrist gesture input is very useful. It should be supported at the system level. There are some help for it, but uh, you have to be conscious of its possibility or that these race gestures are possible and you can build on it and, and make your app. And what you, Michelle mentioned already, uh, the rotational inputs, the crown or the rotating bezel, those are again, things which we don't have on, on tablets or phones. So those are special again. Yeah.
maybe the original, what was it? The, the first Android phone had, had a scroll wheel on the bottom or a scroll. Oh yeah. Like, like yeah, the G1. Oh yeah. The G1. Yeah. The G1. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I love my Nexus one trackball. <laughs> certainly seems like there's a lot of considerations you have to make if you're trying to develop for Wear OS that many regular Android app developers are not aware of. And it's certainly not as easy to develop and especially debug on Wear OS because as Sean mentioned, a lot of smartwatches kind of done away with USB data connection pins. So you got to debug everything over ADB wirelessly, either via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. And that certainly is not without its complications. But the bigger issue is, of course, platform support from Google. Why would developers support Wear OS if the platform maker itself is not supporting it? And so that leads us to, obviously, the elephant in the room, which I'm sure everyone's waiting to hear about, is Wear OS 3. What's the deal with Wear OS 3 and all the changes that Google's made? So just for a bit of background, the most recent version of Wear OS is Wear OS 3, and it's not based on Android 12 or Android 13. It's based on Android 11. And it's only available on one series of smartwatches, and that's Samsung's Galaxy Watch 4 series at the moment. Most other Wear OS smartwatches only ran one Wear OS 2, which is not based on any particular Android version. Instead, it could be Android 7.1 through Android 9. I actually looked at the Google Play Developer Console before this call, and there's like, I think, 74 total watches running Wear OS or that are officially recognized as GMS-compatible smartwatches. So that's not many. And out of those, I think only six on that list have the Snapdragon Wear 4100, which is a chipset that Google and Qualcomm said will be getting the update to Wear OS 3. So there's not very many smartwatches that will be getting the latest Wear OS 3 update. So I wanted to ask Greg, there's a couple of changes in Wear OS 3, user-facing changes in terms of like the UI, especially if anyone uses a Galaxy Watch as compared to an older Wear OS watch, like the swipe, like where you interact with things are a little bit different. There's also a few new APIs, like the ongoing activity API. There's a new health services service. What do you think of these new features and APIs in Wear OS 3? Is it an actually exciting platform update for app developers? Are you looking forward to it rolling out? It could be exciting to others. I know I'm a special case because I'm maintaining this eight-year-old code base and mostly updating parts which need to be updated. And uh, having access to the Samsung Watch at this point, it's hard to see, hard to decide what are the changes that Samsung made to keep the UI similar to the Tizen system. And in the emulator, in the Android Studio emulator, we can now see a little bit how the Wear OS, according to Google, will be. From my perspective, these changes are mainly under the hood changes, which make the watch probably much better uh, to use, hopefully uh, more accurate for fitness tracking, the health stuff, and hopefully more standardized. Throughout the years, it was always crazy. Some watches had heart rate complications, others didn't. And you had to look for an application that provided heart rate complication. And every watch had a different one. I think these are the types of things that a uh, unified health platform will, will solve or or fix, but as you said, it's still going to be fragmented because we have the older watches, which will not get Wear OS 3. So fragmentation will still stay. At this point, the biggest differentiator is Samsung versus the others, really. Uh, so uh, 
I'd say uh, 70% of my work now is to work around problems Samsung added to the mix. And these are just really problems. I'm not sure how much you are into it, but with a recent update, they just broke every third party watch face because for battery optimization, uh, they don't allow the watch faces to update the always on screen. So for a few minutes, it updates, and then you look at your watch and it's till 10 minutes ago. It, we could work around it. Developers, we just set alarms and wake our watch faces. But if, if a watch face app, wake it up, update the screen, go back for uh, Samsung watches. And heart rate complications didn't work on or still do not work on third-party watch faces. So you had to catch it. If you see the user plays heart rate complication, okay, I will divert it and uh, update the heart rate myself. Same for calendar, safe for battery. So it's just until now, we had to deal with all the things Google missed and messed up sometimes. Now we have a second player that we have to clean up after. So it's, it's hard to tell. I'm very curious how Wear OS 3 will be on, on fossils, on, on TicWatch. That is definitely surprising to hear that you think there may be a difference between how Wear OS 3 on Samsung watches behaves versus how it may behave on other Wear OS 3 watches, of which there isn't any. So there's no real comparison to be made. But hopefully it doesn't go down that path because any app developers who just heard your story probably scratching their heads are like, that's what we deal with every day when we have to deal with XYZ OEM customizing the framework. Wear OS, of course, mostly behave the same because Google was had such tight control over the frameworks and the services that were running on each smartwatch. But just looking under the hood though, Wear OS 3 really seems to be more, as you mentioned, Greg, an under the hood update. When I was looking for new features, pretty much all I saw was two, the ones that I just mentioned before, the ongoing activity API and the health services. Like I couldn't really find much else in terms of new platform features. On the other end, Google has been doing a lot when it comes to tooling and library support because they actually want to encourage developers to build applications for Wear OS. And from what I've heard reading online, the experience of using the previous, the Java APIs or all the other APIs and tools they had were kind of horrendous. Like there's a lot of complaints on using the old APIs to build tiles, for example. Whereas now they have a Jetpack Compose for Wear OS you can use to design the overlays, i.e. the apps. They have a library for building watch faces. They also have a Jetpack Compose-based library for building tiles as well. So Greg, just a quick question. What's your experience building tiles for Wear OS using the old API and using the new Jetpack Compose libraries? Like, do you think there's been a market improvement in tooling and library support? Do you agree with some of the complaints uh, developers have had about the old tools? I think I was <laughs> one of the complainers. So uh, yeah, the, the original problem was that they brought out tiles, which is great. And Google made their own five tiles and that was it. And they didn't provide any API for us to work with. So it was just that end. You had tiles and you could choose from five different tiles and that was all. The solution was an unofficial tile API. It was made by Stringmon. It was never promised or guaranteed to work. And we never knew if we did something with it, if the next release of Wear OS is going to 
work or not. It's still working, by the way. So the unofficial uh, Tile API can be used and it uses remote views, which is very similar to home screen widgets on the phone. So for me, still the original unofficial API is uh, the best choice. Then maybe last year, uh, they came out with this builder-based official Tile API, which was really unusable. I did for my other little application, the fat finger calculator, I made a very simple tile. I made it with this builder system and just making something that simple was already just uh, really uh, terrible. And my biggest problem with it was that it required API 25 minimum uh, target API. So. If you added tiles, it wouldn't work on many of the older watches. And if you set that the minimum API level, you would have to then maintain two different uh, versions of the app. So that was out of the question for me to switch to it for my main app, the, the launcher. And now I already looked into this uh, glance Jetpack compose based uh, system, and it's miles better. The minimum API level is now back to like 23. Nobody is using that, but so basically there is no limitation there and it's much, much more usable. This is the point where I'm considering to actually, uh, maybe I will actually be forced to use it. We will see how right now the Wear OS 3 in the emulator still handles the unofficial API, but, um, we will see. I think it really speaks to how badly received the official original Java API was, considering the fact that developers like you are still using the unofficial API that can be broken at any time in your apps. But it's good to hear that the improved, like the Glance library is actually a, a huge step above that. Before I close off, I want to ask everyone here, what do you think about the future of Wear OS? Do you think more developers and users will actually be interested in the platform now that Samsung has gotten aboard and Google seems to be actually putting real attention into it? In my opinion, I'm unsure because I think even Apple and Google, a lot of people, we don't really know what we want on our watch. And even if you do, you might be some very small minority of the population. And so I think wearables as a whole are still very much in their infancy prototyping kind of stage. So I'd still see probably large changes in the future for, we might move away from watches. I don't see Google setting this in stone and, and not changing anything more. Yeah, we definitely need a, a killer app and <laughs> which hasn't come up yet. Yeah. There is this fitness direction and there's the notification direction. But that's covered by the operating system mainly, or so, uh, I was very excited to hear that Samsung came on board with Wear OS definitely. And yeah, there are other reasons for it, but the market quadrupled, I haven't seen really the effect of it on, on my apps, uh, but we really had a, a gloom and doom kind of mindset over the years and it surely brightened up in what was it august 21 so i'm still excited uh, they really breathe the new life into the platform but samsung is samsung so many things on their watch are proprietary 
Um, you mentioned that phone developers, we are used to needing to cover a lot of different brands and, and quirks of the different systems. Here, at least we have Samsung and everybody else, and hopefully it stays like this. So we only have two to watch for. <laughs> so I'm very curious what Wear OS will uh, bring to other watches, the Tick watch and Fossil watches, the Moto 360s, and there are some other brands that make these watches. The Samsung WatchFace Studio, it also opens up uh, WatchFace design to many, many uh, smaller developers, which could be a good thing. They really flooded the Wear OS subreddit so much that eventually the community had to block them or rule them out. Watch faces will always be a direction, I think, where, where development customization is, is big on Android. And this could be a tool for that. But those Watch Face Studio watch faces, for me, they are too limited or not very functional, not very customizable. So they look different and they have a special, as, as, as far as I can see, they have a special style, very unique style, uh, usually pretty busy watch faces, but there are some really nice ones, but let me be the optimist. <laughs> I see a brighter future. If wearables, if smartwatches are the future, then Hopefully it will be a Wear OS on the Android side. There is a better chance now than before. I agree. I think that over the years I've come around to that position too. And I was a naysayer about Android Wear early on and the Wear OS 2.0 revamp. You know, I was happy to make my opinion known about that and what I thought it would do for the market for Wear OS. But the thing is, you do see these devices out in the wild. I see them frequently. One of the things that continues to define Wear OS for good or not is the accessibility of a round display. You just don't get that on other platforms. Now, if Apple decided that was important, they could go do that tomorrow. Um, there's nothing stopping them from doing that. But in the meantime, I think it continues to make it like something that people notice. It does look different and that's important. And I think that overall, as long as Android as a smartphone platform continues to be immensely popular, there will be a demand for companion devices that add to that experience. Until Apple makes the Apple Watch work with Android phones, which it never will, so it's not even really worth ideating on, there will always be a place for these, these kinds of Android hardware extensions. Now, I think that what people want is to hear that Google is going to make a, an experience comparable to Apple and the Apple Watch, and I just don't see that. I don't think it's ever going to happen, at least not in Wear's current incarnation. Maybe as Google becomes more mature with Silicon down the road, perhaps you could have some deeper integrations there. But I don't think there will ever be that comparable experience. So that comes down like to what you said, Greg, what's the killer app with an Android wearable? It remains to be seen. It's a totally open question still. Apple owns that fitness and wellness market so dominantly with the Apple Watch at this point. Google's acquisition of Fitbit helps. Oh, you have Garmin, of course, too, um, on the fitness side for the true athletes. I mean, Garmin's you know definitely more of an athletics brand. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Google does with Fitbit on the wellness side, but Google's health efforts have been all over the board over the years. They don't seem to know what they want. So 
I think that as long as Google is willing to put money behind this, though, there will continue to be people who will buy into that experience and continue to be valuable sources of feedback. Now, whether Google acts in the, the ways like with partners in the ecosystem, like Qualcomm and Google don't seem to be friends right now. I mean, it's probably important for them to be friends for the Wear OS ecosystem to continue to be uh, viable. So I think that there still has to be cooperation there. And I just don't see much cooperation. The fact that Fossil is essentially getting left behind while Samsung gets to jump ahead to generation, that sucks. I, I don't think Fossil's happy about it. And I don't think that the compromise Google offered, which from what I heard was essentially, don't worry, everybody will get the fitness features at the same time, regardless of your underlying platform version, at least for compatible variants. This is a rumor, by the way, that, you know, I heard a while back. It does make me think Google's taking it more seriously, though, overall. It seems like they are continuing to want to invest in wearables. I just think it's still an open question as to whether their approach this time is going to be more successful than previous efforts, because they had such great momentum with the Moto 360 at the initial launch. People were mesmerized by that device. And I think in a lot of ways, now they feel burned by the platform and what it ended up becoming. So I think that there's still room to run here. I don't think Google's out of time. Sorry. And I do think that the platform can continue to evolve and grow. It's just a question, I think, of how much effort Google's willing to put behind it and how much more appetite partners have. But yeah, I think people keep buying them. So Google will probably keep building it. And regardless of whether or not Google wants to continue investing into Wear OS. There will always be companies that see smartwatches as a viable hardware target and build AOSP regardless of what Google wants or will support. Especially, you know, any companies that are looking to use them for enterprise uses. If you have something that you need and AOSP is available, regardless of whether or not Google supports it, you might want to explore using Android as a platform because it's much more scalable and it's much more accessible than porting Linux over to a smartwatch. And you might even, you know, not have as many of the power profile issues as you would have with a consumer device because you really control the full application stack. So you might only have one app that's really doing any talking. So you're not super worried about, okay, how is this going to play with the job scheduler? You have such visibility into what's happening on that device. So that is where Esper could step in. We actually do work on Wear OS, like an AOSP, not something that we're putting out there like a foundation version of Android or AOSP on, but we are capable of managing Wear OS devices and wearables in enterprise are a growing segment. They can be very useful, especially in logistics industries. They can be useful in medicine. There are just like a lot of verticals where companies are starting to discover, okay, having something on somebody's wrist can be a valuable way to either provide information, enable communication, or just provide data contextually to somebody in a situation where maybe they don't have their hands free to them. So if you're building something that feels like Wear OS probably isn't a good fit for us, but I have something that needs to go on somebody's wrist, it needs to do something pretty, not basic, but a kind of a unitasker. We call these dedicated devices here at Esper. Maybe it's a two-way walkie-talkie that lives on somebody's wrist uh, because we do a two-way handheld walkie-talkie. Uh, you could totally see AOSP using, uh, being used for a use case like that. Actually, wristwatches are sort of perfect for that. Thanks, Dick Tracy. So um, if you want to make your very own enterprise Dick Tracy watch, reach out to us, esper.io, book a demo. We're happy to talk about custom hardware solutions as well. Uh, Esper works in all kinds of form factors and versions of Android. Uh, we work on display signage, work on tablets. We work on kiosks, point of sale. We're on exercise equipment, like full-on climbing machine, an exercise bike, <laughs> lots and lots of different devices running 
systems that are based on AOSP or even GMS Android. We can work with those as well. Thank you again for listening to us, everybody, this week. And Michelle, would you like to give our guests uh, an outro here? Thanks, David. And thank you both, Greg and Sean, for joining us today. It was great talking to you about Wear OS. It's not really something that many people can speak to, both as an application developer side and as a platform side. So it was really great to hear from both of you today. Tell us about where we can find you and what do you work on? You can find me just about anywhere under my deadman96385 username. Literally just about anywhere. Primarily, I work on more niche form factors of Android. So again, in this kind of form factor, but smart displays. I also do a lot of under the hood development systems work. So Lineage OS and any other custom ROM work. But yeah, if you, if you ever have a unique device, prototype, or anything you'd want more details on, I probably know something about it or can find the information on it. Yeah, I recommend the Bubble Cloud subreddit. That's probably the best way to see what's happening with my apps and uh, have a discussion about it. I still keep working on my uh, main application, this mini launcher that extends the possibilities, not just making a launcher, not just for the apps, because as we talked about it, there might not be that many on the watch, but for uh, smart home control, for task controls, for toggles and all kinds of things. You can even create folders in this launcher. And there is an integrated version of it with the watch face, which lets you even put these watch face complications in your app drawer and collect them into folders. So it's for the tinkerer kind, those of us who, who like to customize to the Mac. So that's what I'm working on. And Bubble Cloud subreddit is the best place to keep track of these things. I thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, it was, I think it was very interesting for both of us as well. And I'm sure it'd be interesting to anyone. Oh yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Good thank work. you everyone for joining us on another episode of Android Bytes and we'll see you next time.